Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular hairstyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Hey, welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle podcast, Trojan Blast recruiting podcast we are here with gerard martinez on the line he's going to talk about one of the biggest days in probably usc football recruiting history yesterday july 11th when usc got nearly 900 pounds of commitments in one day it was a pretty crazy day gerard uh did you get any sleep last night no i didn't uh it was one of those things that uh, obviously we knew that uh nico fala was going to make an announcement wednesday and a lot of people were looking forward to that because he's an offensive lineman he's an offensive tackle probably the best offensive tackle on the west coast and you know a lot of usc fans are looking for the beef in this class because there's a lot of good skill players but they want to know where the linemen are but nico fala was just the tip of the iceberg yeah so there's a lot of beef uh yesterday i guess we can start with the first uh, commitment of day will go in order of the when they announced. Uh, Khalil Rogers is a guy we got to see uh, down in Atlanta at the Rivals 100 five-star challenge. Uh, teammates with USC commit Kenny Bigelow and USC quarterback commit uh, Kenny Stills. Um, see, Kenny Stills, seeing those guys down there and seeing Khalil Rogers, I don't know how many questions we fielded, Gerard, on this very podcast about when is Khalil Rogers going to get an offer and blah, blah, blah. And it looked like it was coming down to USC and Auburn. And yesterday he ends up picking the Trojans, kind of surprised some people. Surprised some people, I think, with the timing of it. It just popped kind of out of nowhere. I think a lot of people were expecting some type of announcement. Um, I was hearing that USC was in a real good position with him after the scholarship offer. He had been to USC a couple times. Uh, and really loved USC, and loved USC not just because of his teammates going there, but because he felt like just the city and I, I guess the school itself really fell at home and he really fit in the program. Uh, but USC, you know, in terms of recruiting him kind of early in the process, really weren't after him very hard because they were looking for offensive tackles. They needed guys that could be pass um, blockers on the edge of the offense, guys that you know really had the frame and the long arms to be able to play offensive tackle. They've got a lot of interior guys. So I think at some point USC went through their evaluations. They saw what was on the board. It's not a great year for offensive linemen, not locally, not nationally. So it became one of those things, okay, we've got Nico Fala in the mix, and Nico had known that he was going to USC for the better part of a month, and I think USC had a pretty good idea that he was coming to USC for that time too. So you've got your offensive tackle is one of those things where it's like, okay, do we go after another project of an offensive tackle, a guy that you know, maybe he's a, a three-star, maybe he's a two-star, maybe he's a guy that's completely off the radar and hope that he develops into being a good offensive tackle that we can put you know, side-by-side side with Nico Fala, or do we go after the best lineman on the board? And they decided to go after the best lineman on the board, period, and that was Khalil Rogers. A lot of the USC fans are really excited about him, mainly because watching his tape, watching his film from the camps, he's a dominant force. We saw him at five-star. And five-star, quite frankly, I think even in comparison to the opening, you probably had even a better quality of defensive linemen that he was going against. 
and he was dominant. Every guy that he went against, he beat at least once. The only rep that I saw him lose was against Carl Lawson, and that was the second time around where Carl Lawson lost the first rep and then came in on the second rep and got a little spin move on him and actually beat Killer Rogers. So he's one of those guys that, um, you know, he's, he's – jumped up and stepped up in front of all the competition, was calling guys out. He's been very physical. Um, he's just an overwhelming force uh, in terms of just, you know, that type of atmosphere at these camps, being a guy that's really kind of jumped out there. And, and obviously it helps secure Kenny Bigelow's commitment, the five-star defensive tackle uh, from the same school, Eastern Christian Academy. That's huge for USC. That cannot be overstated because USC really needs a legitimate three technique at defensive tackle. And Kenny Bigelow is one of the most elite guys at that position nationally. Okay, then second of the day, the announcement we knew about, and I was actually down there for it, Nico Fala from St. John Bosco, four-star offensive tackle. We got an interview up with uh, Rachel Brady where he talked about his commitment to USC and said that, you know, he made the decision three weeks ago, told UCLA coaches a couple weeks ago. What did you think about Nico Fala picking the Trojans? It's a big get for USC, mainly because uh, they're not only getting, as I said, the top offensive lineman on the West Coast, top offensive tackle, which specifically is a position that USC needs. They also take a guy away from UCLA, and they take him away from Oregon as well. He unofficially visited Oregon right before his announcement. And that's one of those things where, you know, when it's not a deep year for offensive linemen, uh, UCLA is going to have to reach a little more. And when you're taking guys away from your rivals, those are schools that you're going to be playing year in and year out. Um, it's a win-win for you. You know, you're, you're getting a great player and you're taking away a great player away from your rival. Um, I think with Nico, one of the most interesting things that he said, you know, after his announcement when he talked to Rachel was kind of that whole process of, you, when you when you kind of let everybody know behind the scenes what was going on and that you were going to USC, you know, how did UCLA take that? Well, we heard a lot of rumors kind of floating around out there that UCLA had stopped recruiting him. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. According to Nico, UCLA says that they are going to recruit him even harder now, and they're going to be after him, and they're not going to let up. And I think that's one of the things that you can expect with the recruiting process. He wants to take his visits. We're going to have to see if UCLA is one of those visits because that can make things a little interesting towards the end of the year. So um, I think, you know, really everybody kind of had a good feel where he was going. It was more of, you know, at this point now that he's committed, what does the future hold? Okay, and then lastly, before you, uh, before everyone went to bed, I guess not that long before people went to bed, I, I got a lot of tweets from guys on the East Coast that were thankful they didn't go to bed, so they got to see what was going on. But Eddie Vander does. He, uh, the four-star defensive tackle, defensive end, 300-pounder, can throw a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. You did an interview with him up in uh, Beaverton at the opening on the Nike campus and weren't really sure what was going to happen with him, but he decides to... Uh, tell the USC coaches he's going to commit to USC on the same day as, as Fala and Rogers. And that was definitely the, the surprise of the night because we thought, you know, Nico and, and with, and even Khalil, both those guys were, were USC leans at that point. I think we felt like, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of uh, when and not if. Uh, with Eddie Vanderdose, there was a little more question. Even when we did the video interview with him up in Beaverton, uh, he announced that he felt like USC was kind of the team to beat for him. And a lot of people met that with skepticism. Had a lot of Duck fans on Twitter that really kind of called out that interview and didn't believe that USC was really the team to beat for him. And it turns out they were definitely the team to beat for him. And, and talking to his father late last night, the story broke around 10.45, almost about 11 o'clock at night. Uh, the Sacramento Bee just put it up out of nowhere. 
And I, I got a hold of his father kind of late last night, and we talked about the process. And the one thing he revealed is that, you know, USC had been there and kind of been at the top for him really throughout the process, ever since the junior day. And a lot of people assume that he was leaning towards Oregon. He is close with Armand and Eric Armstead, and obviously with Eric going to Oregon and there being, you know, all that controversy with Armand sitting out and not being able to play at USC because of medical issues, a lot of people thought, okay, well, that's going to push him towards Oregon, he's really not going to look at USC. Well, in fact, he was looking at USC hard. He was even looking at USC hard when he didn't have a scholarship offer, and the Trojans were really one of the last schools to offer him a scholarship in the May evaluation period. They went up there and actually offered him the day that they watched him play baseball. So it was one of those things where you see that overall as an athlete, He's a guy that even he's a defensive tackle, he's still a skilled player. Uh, he's about 6'2", 6'3", 302 pounds. We saw him at the opening. You know, in the few reps that he really took, he was dominant. I mean, he was a guy that could just bl- just blow guys right off the line, especially with the bull rush. Has great leverage, very strong, just naturally powerful. Um, I think he's a guy that can kind of jump over, play a little three technique, but definitely a guy that can be a one-shade, play next to Kenny Bigelow, and that's just a crazy, crazy good duo, especially, again, when you're looking at linemen and you're looking at the guys on the board and who USC could recruit. That's really one of the best combinations that they could sign. Okay, and then I guess uh, and what would be normally big news if you get a five-star uh recruit out there saying that USC is his leader. That was the case with uh, Vernon Hargraves, uh, the five-star defensive back out of Florida. And we did get a couple of questions on that. He tweeted out that USC was the leader in the clubhouse. He had an unofficial visit there. I know we have a story that should be going up uh, later today or soon on uscfootball.com. But Andrew had a question on him and Terry as well. Legit shot at Hargraves and um, what do, how'd the visit go and what's your feeling on that? Uh, USC has always had a legitimate shot at Vernon Hargraves, A, because he's a Tampa kid, and Lane and Monty Kiffin have great ties in the Tampa area, and we've seen that time and time again. I mean, going back to Mike Williams, who played at Plant High School, which is just outside of Tampa, um, USC has been able to get really a lot of influence into that Tampa area. Monty Kiffin is, you know, a legend being with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for so many years and running those defenses. So they've always kind of had a little bit of a reach in that part of Florida. Uh, Coming out and unofficially visiting, we knew this was going to happen. We just didn't know kind of how the visit would go. A visit went probably as well as it could, according to, you know, Vernon. And speaking with his mom uh, just earlier today, she loved the visit as well. And that's really the important thing is going to be with his family. His dad, Vernon Hargraves II, is a coach at USF. Uh, He coached at Miami for a number of years. They understand the process. They understand recruiting. Uh, they've been through it. They've done it. Uh, so with USC, with mom coming out, it's really, you know, how's the distance factor? What's the the relationship with the family and the USC coaches? It seems talking to her that everything went really well. She was really surprised uh, by USC, I think, academically, and that's a private school. She didn't know it was a private school. She actually came out thinking it was going to be a sprawling public campus, and it ends up being, you know, kind of a more enclosed, intimate, private school uh, that's uh, got a lot of tradition, not just athletically, but tr- uh, but academically, and that was what really impressed her. And she admitted, you know, I kind of want to see him stay closer to home, but I've come to the point where I understand that this is Vernon's decision. He needs to go to school where he's comfortable. Uh, Vernon is pretty close with Nelson Aguilar, uh, the five-star wide receiver, who uh, also from the Tampa area, uh, going to USC and is now on campus, and they spent some time together. And so 
the visit went very well. They're going to come back officially. That was something that we reported, you know, last spring when I talked to his mother and his family. Uh, they had already kind of penciled in that official visit. That's really the only school right now that they've committed to going on uh, an official visit to um, during the year. It's going to be one of those things where the process is going to play out for them. Um, I don't necessarily see any kind of big moves early right now for him as far as um, you know making any kind of announcements or commitments I think at most you'll see a cut to probably you know between eight and five schools and getting you know more of those official visits basically set and starting to kind of understand you know when he's going to take the official visits whether it's going to be during the season or after the season but all in all it was a, it was a tremendous visit for Vernon Hargraves and yet another defensive back that USC's uh, you know uh, looks like they're in good shape with and uh, the <laughs> class is filling up quickly. It certainly is, and uh, we do have a lot of questions. I mean, there was a lot of news we wanted to talk about first. We'll have to, have to rapid fire through these. I apologize. Some of the questions we're not going to get to because, you know, they were asking maybe what's going to happen with Eddie Vander does. Well, he's obviously committed since you sent the question, and so those questions we're going to skip over. But we still have a bunch of new ones, and we had a few early voicemail ones come in late last night after some of the news comes in. Here's uh, one of those. Yeah, this is Dougie at the top of the grapevine. Trojan fans since 1962. This is for Gerald Martinez. Well, the last 24 hours have been nothing less than spectacular with these last three commits. There are four left, Gerald and uh, Gerard, and uh, we're just wondering if you'd look into your smoky crystal ball and see uh, who you think the last four are going to be. Thank you very much, and fight on. And I think you should give me what Gerald thinks the last four are going to be and what Gerard <laughs> thinks the last four are going to be. Can I do that? Can I give you uh, – that? that's, that's kind of covering my basis. I can I would, give yeah. you uh, two completely different uh, predictions as to uh, who the last uh, four, um, you, know, you know, commitments will be down the line. I think – at this point, you know, obviously USC feels pretty good about Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I think that's a guy that you can definitely kind of uh, look forward to as a, as a possible guy that can end up committing. He's going to announce his decision um, July 16th, which is next Monday. And um, at this point, I think USC is definitely the team to beat. Um, you know, going from that point, I, I think they're definitely still in a good position for Max Redfield. You know, I think that's a guy that you can kind of pencil in uh, as, as, as a probably looking at USC maybe harder than any other school possibility he could commit to USC before the season you know that's still one of those things that's up in the air he's talked about uh, announcing maybe at the Under Armour game which would be in January um, but there's some sources there at Mission Viejo saying that he's probably not going to last that long if he commits early and he does do it in August and I think it's definitely USC um, the last two you're kind of debating you know who could it be I don't know. I mean, we talked about Vernon Hargraves. That's a possibility. Um, maybe there's another defensive lineman out there, Jason Hatcher, who's 6'2", 240-pound defensive end from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, a guy that we saw at the opening as well, had you know one of the better spark ratings uh, of anybody there, uh, especially when you're talking about defensive linemen. Um, that's a possibility. He's a guy that's close with Jalen Ramsey, uh, but you know, still an SEC guy, a guy that's probably going to go through the process a little more. Um, you know, you have Tahan Goodman there, who's another safety, and obviously if you brought Tahan Goodman into the mix, then you start to look at that 5-DB class and say, 
okay, that's really six DBs. Is somebody moving to another position? You know, what happens with Sebastian LaRue? Because he's a guy that's been looked at as a corner, maybe receiver. And all of a sudden, you're maybe pushing him more to offense because if you have him playing corner, then that makes the class bigger at defensive back as well. So, you know, we're trying to look at the numbers and kind of fit it all together. You know, if you if you look at Tahan Goodman, then you've got Priest Willis as well. Uh, it's, there's a lot of great defensive backs in this class that USC would like to sign, but there's only so many spots that they have. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of uh, how that shapes out. Because, again, like I said, if you're looking at two safeties and three corners, and all of a sudden you sign a guy like Tahan Goodman or you get him committed, then you start to wonder, okay, is one of those safeties not a safety? One of those corners not a corner? Uh, but that's going to be how it plays out. I think, uh, you know, I don't have any, you know, real specific predictions. I'm not like to get into predictions too much. Uh, the, you know, crystal ball is too cloudy uh, for that kind of stuff. And, again, we're only in July. There's going to be a lot that happens uh, definitely postseason. You know, everything will kind of quiet down during the season. But once we get into the late stages of November, December, then it's going to get interesting again. And we're going to see, you know, how many of these guys actually stay committed. See if there's any guys like Pio Batuve, uh, the defensive lineman uh, from up north in California that was totally Trojan through and through and then took a couple uh, official visits to other schools and ends up at Washington. So there's those guys that can definitely flip-flop uh, towards the end of the process, and that's going to open up the spot, and all of a sudden that maybe changed some things as well. Um, I was just thinking about this while looking through some of the questions, Gerard, before we jump into these. USC right now, uh, the, the the average star rating, I think it's like 4.2-something um, or 4.2-ish, something like that. Obviously, it's the only, in the rivals' rankings, only school that has above a four-star ranking. Everyone in the class is a four- or a five-star Um they are ranked number two now in the Rivals.com rankings and nipping on the heels of uh, Michigan up there. You know, they're, they're only going to be able to get to 18, so it's going to be tough because the, the new system on Rivals, it kind of it grades on a scale of 20. So they will have two fewer commits than or two fewer signees than other schools are be going against. But they certainly are proving that they can be right up there. They're going to be a top class no matter what. But it's not like years past where – there's a you might you might mix in a three star fullback or a a snapper or something or, you know that, that you kind of mix things up a little bit and it, it you kind of bring down the rankings. I mean, there's it does not look like Gerard. There will be anyone that's not a four star. I mean, there's only four spots left, and you got four and five stars kind of fighting for those. It's going to be a class of the the lowest will be a a fairly good four star. Yeah, and that's got to be a concern. It's a good point to make because. I've actually been a real big proponent of how USC's done it in previous years, going after the guy that might be a long snapper, going after the H-back, going after some of the kids that just fit what USC wants to do specifically. The rankings are not necessarily a big deal. I think Khalil Rogers, that's an example of a guy that USC, I think they had the thing long and hard of, okay, do we go after the national guy? Do we go after the best player on the board? The guy that has you know maybe more marketability, over a guy that's a local player like, uh, you know, J.D. Hennett or Sean Harlow, some of these other more project-type offensive linemen that they're not going to be the big name, they're going to be, you know, a lower-star guy, but maybe if you bring them into the program, they're local and you can build them up, they end up being better players in the long term. So you have to debate behind the scenes as to, you know, getting those role players sometimes along with all the five-stars and the four-stars, it really adds a better mix and a better class overall for your team. Sometimes the top players 
are not always the best players for your locker room. So uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it, it looks great on paper and, and the fans are really excited, but if there's any reservation, it's that you're trying to pack in too many good players into one class. And we've seen with, you know, some of Pete Carroll's classes, which were number one in the nation, some of those guys, you end up looking at who ended up making it and who ended up being weeded out. You get transfers, you get a lot of guys who are ego guys. I think the one thing that you can say uh, with USC right now under Lane Kiffin is at least they're having that debate. I think there's definitely behind the scenes questioning, and there's there's that you know when they're going through evaluations, there's that question of okay, do we go after the big time guy? Or do we look at the guy that maybe is a lesser talent right now but is better for our program in the locker room and he has those intangibles, and they're, they're going back and forth. It's not all about, hey, let's just sign as many guys in the Rivals 100 as we can. I don't think that's necessarily the motivation. Um, I think it's definitely an evaluation thing. And I think, obviously, with the limited scholarships, you know, USC has to take advantage. And going after projects, you have to be careful with that as well because it can end up biting you and you don't have a lot of room to be able to bring those guys in. You know, when you're looking at spring ball and, you know, the 75 is great for fall camp. Spring ball, you got to remember, all of a sudden that dips down because you've got all those graduating seniors and you don't have all the true freshmen yeah. being able to come in for early spring. So, you know, if you've got guys that can contribute right away and can get in there and they can play and can at least get in and contribute, you know, for, for, for scout team and are legitimately going after and giving your first team guys a look, that's a big deal and that's important as well. All right. That, yeah, that's why some of the walk-ons are going to become so important, some of the preferred walk-ons. We have a question on that a little bit later. Let's go to another voicemail question. This is from Megan. Here you go. Hi, Ryan and Gerard. Um, thanks for doing the recruiting podcast every week. I listen to them to every week. This is Megan, by the way, from L.A. Um, I just have a question. Um, I haven't really heard anything about Scott Pagano or Elijah Qualls. Um, is there anything new about their recruiting um, progress, I guess, with USC? Um, if there is, could you just let me know? Thank you, and fight on. Well, first, it's good to hear a female voice on some of these uh, voice uh, mails. You know, we never get any girls calling, and they're Trojan fans. We know there's plenty of them out there. Um, the, the, the really simple answer to that question is no. Uh, not a lot going on with Scott Pagano, and obviously with Vanderdose and his commitment, I think that takes Pagano off the board. Uh, Pagano was a guy that was claiming a scholarship offer from USC. Uh, to our knowledge, really didn't have – a real scholarship offer from USC. Um, so it doesn't seem like he's going to be a guy that's going to be in play for SC at this point. Same thing with Elijah Qualls. It was one of those things where Ed Ergeron went up there and there's a lot of talk of a scholarship. And I don't think he ever actually talked to Lane Kiffin. And I, I kind of, there's questions kind of, you know, in hindsight as to whether his scholarship offer was legitimate. Um, didn't play very well in Atlanta. He was a little better at the opening. But definitely a guy that when you watch his film, He's tremendous as a running back. He's a 280-pound guy, 6'2", 280 pounds, playing running back. Even though it's against inferior competition, there's still impressive athleticism on film. But uh, as far as being a defensive lineman, we haven't really seen it yet. So you're kind of looking at him and you're excited about his potential as a defensive lineman because of what you're seeing on film from him as a running back. And that's a little dangerous. That's a little dangerous to do because he's not playing running back. Even though you try to translate some of those things that he does as a running back, his footwork, his quickness, and you go, oh, he could do all this stuff, and you put them on defensive line, and that's going to you know, that's gonna fit great. It doesn't always work that way. So uh, one of those things where I think with both those guys, I think USC interior defensive line is pretty solid right now. As I said, Bigelow and Vanderdose, 
that's a hell of a combination. I mean, if you got one shade and a three shade there, that's a heck of a combination. And then you bring in Kylie Fitz, who's a big guy who can also maybe move inside eventually. They're just really looking for that pass rusher now. I mean, they're looking for that weak side defensive end, that guy who's fast, that guy who can able to get sacks and really play, uh, you know, from the backside of the defense and be able to kind of clean up some uh, some plays in the offensive backfield. So that's, I think, where USC stands, and neither of those guys are really that type of player. All right. Uh, let's go to another voicemail question. We're sorry, we'll try to get through these rapid fire. We'll try to get to all of them, everyone. And uh, here's the next one from Tony. Hi, guys. This is Tony from Montreal. Uh, thanks very much for the info. Being up here in Canada, I don't get much USC info, and you guys are really great. I had two questions, GM. I really wanted to know what are the Trojans set now looking at as far as D-lines are concerned. Are you looking for a specific type of player, a guy like Hatcher? or the best player available to finish out the defensive line recruiting. And the second part is, do you think that at similar levels of players, do they go with a fifth DB or a fifth defensive lineman? Thanks a lot, guys, and again, thank you. The Trojans, eh? Uh, You know, first question, I think you kind of talked about it already a little bit. I think it plays out sort of like it's played out for the offensive line. I think USC is going to go along. They're going to try to find a guy that fits something specific, and that would be, as I just said, a weak side defensive end, a guy that's got the athleticism that can get upfield and sack the quarterback. And Jason Hatcher is a guy that's definitely on the board. Uh, you also have to look at uh, Tarodney Prevo. He's another guy that USC came in and, and had him uh, perform at the Rising Stars camp and played well. He's definitely a little more of a project. He's about 6'3", six, 6'4". Only about 200 pounds, so he's a guy that's got to put on a lot of more weight, and you kind of w- wonder if he's a little more like a Michael Morgan type. You know, does he have the frame to put on weight to be, you know, 230, 235 pounds? That's a lot of weight for a kid right now, and, and to project how he's going to play at that weight, you know, whether he's still going to have the same speed and still explosiveness, you're taking a little bit of a gamble. Whereas Hatcher's a little more ready-made, 6'2", 240. He's fast now. He's like a four, six, eight guy. Had a tremendous shuttle time at the opening. I think his shuttle time was four. Uh, flat 406 I think it was um, and that's kind of what propelled him into the finals for the spark championship um, so I think you know Hatcher's kind of the guy that you're looking at and you're kind of circling a little bit but if it doesn't work out I think USC goes all right we just got to get another defensive lineman let's just go after the best guy on the board kind of what happened with the offensive line and Khalil Rogers I think they went along they started looking at their options they started looking at the possibilities for other offensive tackles and at some point they said you know what Let's just go after the best guy there. And obviously with Khalil Rogers, as we said, he's a guy that shores up the commitment of Kenny Bigelow too. So that's definitely an added bonus. Um, Now with the fifth DB, fifth, defensive linemen, really you're looking for six DB and fifth defensive linemen because USC, I think we're pretty sure right now is going to take at least five. Five is a number that we've heard time and time again with the defensive backs. It can be skewed a little bit because guys can kind of play maybe, uh, you know, corner and then move over. Maybe he's a receiver, kind of like with Sebastian LaRue. You know, we've talked a little bit about Sue Cravens, the possibility of him maybe growing in and be a linebacker. So while five is the number on paper, it can be masked a little bit with some of the versatilities of his players. So it's really six guys on the defensive backfield or are we going five guys on the defensive line? You know, I think it's probably because you're looking at the best player overall, it would end up probably being a sixth defensive back. I don't know if you're going to be able to get two more defensive linemen that are going to be top guys um, like you could get, you know, in a sixth defensive back. You're basically looking at 
uh, a guy like, you know, Prevo or, or maybe more of a three-star guy that's going to be a defensive end compared to, um, you know, uh, Tahan Goodman or Priest Willis or another defensive back. And there's so many of them in this class that are good that I think you probably lean towards getting that sixth defensive back. Okay. Uh, kind of a follow-up to that, I guess. This is from Rundy. I love Ed Orgeron like all USC fans do, but – if he has such a great recruit, recruiting and coaching genius, why has USC missed out on so many defensive line prospects the past two years? Run D, last name MC. Um, I think that, first and foremost, defensive line-wise, you're always kind of going out of state to recruit defensive linemen. And the only guy that you can really say, okay, they missed out on would be Ellis McCarthy. And obviously, you know, we've rehashed that story many times in terms of the circumstances and the context of that. I think it's really, you know, Ergeron is always, as far as going after top-rated defensive linemen, is kind of working uphill because he has to go back down south. The SECs where all the defensive linemen are, those guys are just more physically developed. They're more ready-made. We saw it's the five-star challenge. There's just a ton of those guys that you get from Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi that you just – they come out, you know, high school, and they're, you know, 300 pounds, and they're 6'4", and that's, that's how they're built already. With the defensive linemen on the West Coast, those kids are much smaller. You know, you can build them up. We've seen, you know, through the NFL draft that those guys are there. They will, they will end up being there at some point in college, but you're not going to see them get high ratings coming out of high school because they're more in the 230 range. There's a lot of guys that are 240. Some of these guys that end up being defensive tackles in college are not even playing defensive tackle in high school in California. So that's, I think, the biggest difference is that, you know, Ergeron's always kind of fighting uphill to get the top-rated guys because they're out of state, and those guys tend to want to stay home. Mama's cooking is great, especially down <laughs> south. Fried food is awesome, and it's hard to get them out to California where everybody's GQ wants to be hanging out at the beach getting a tan. Right. They have to, They bring them to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles in hopes that'll uh, win them over. But that win, wins me over. I don't know. That would work for me as a recruit. Um, let's go to – this one's going to be hard for a rapid fire, Gerard, but uh, this is our, our buddy in Georgia. Here you go on this one. Hi, Ryan and Gerard. This is Deshaun from Georgia. I'm so excited. Three new commits and possibly some more on the way. Um, I wanted to know a couple questions. Uh, first of all, Jalen Ramsey, do you think he's going to commit soon? And I heard Vernon Hargraves the third. I heard that we're his new leader now, which was really interesting. And my last comment is I just got a teaching job at a college in South Carolina, and it's in the same county as the Crosby kid who's the linebacker. I want to know how good he is. All right, thanks, Ryan and Gerard, and go Trojans, the number one recruiting class in the nation very soon. All right, take care. Well, we talked a little bit about Ramsey, so we won't rehash that. Um, I, I, I want to kind of jump forward, actually, to the Kevin Crosby, because the interesting thing about Kevin Crosby is a 6'1", 225-pound inside linebacker from South Carolina, from Bamberg. So I guess, uh, you know, Deshaun's out there in Bamberg now. Um, you know, good player, a guy that was invited to the five-star challenge um, out in Atlanta. The interesting thing about it is, is that he actually ended up playing for the West squad uh, because, um, you know, some of the players that were playing for the West squad were hurt and, and couldn't actually play, specifically the tight end. So he actually came over and ended up playing tight end for the West squad in the seven-on. Uh, pretty good player. I mean, pretty good skill player. He's not the biggest guy in the world, uh, but for a linebacker, you know, he's playing big. And you can see he's probably going to play inside. Uh, very athletic. As far as, you know, USC's chances of getting him, 
probably not very good just because you're talking about a guy from South Carolina and pretty far away. It's going to be you know difficult. They don't really have much luck in South Carolina. The closest they've actually had to signing a guy from South Carolina was Alshon Jeffrey, and that kind of fell apart you know at the end towards signing day. Um, so it's going to be difficult. But he is a definitely a good player. Was a guy that you know certainly didn't embarrass himself um, in Atlanta with a, a lot of good players. I think you know as I said before. As far as the five-star challenge goes, I think USC could probably offer every one of those juniors and be okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a very, very good uh, turnout as far as juniors went. Uh, I got a tweet. Uh, this is, I think it's QSIMC Cray or something, whatever it is. But uh, he says he wants to hear you utter uh, trapping out the bando on the podcast. So maybe you want to explain <laughs> what that is. Trapping out the bando. That's a, a little thing <laughs> from the opening that um, I don't know if it, I'm not sure if it was uh, Kelvin Taylor who, who came, who was talking about that and, and all the other guys were trying to kind of figure out what the heck he was talking about. It's a song lyric. Uh, and it's actually not a really cool thing to be saying. It's, it's trapping out the bando is something to do with selling drugs out of a, a broken down, uh, beat up apartment with uh boards on the windows uh, oh, it's just kind of a, a little bit of a southern thing um, glad i brought you know. that up good <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's just a ha-ha thing that i think you know somebody threw out there and everybody's going what the heck i mean obviously you know the california kids are like what the heck does that mean like i it does there's not a lot of words there that really mean anything to anybody out west um but you know it's kind of a, a southern thing that uh is again song lyrics and if you're on twitter you're, you're, you're watching these kids. Most of them are just repeating song lyrics when they put stuff out there. And sometimes it's very <laughs> vulgar, and you just think to yourself, why in the world are you repeating that on Twitter? But it's not them actually saying it. It's just a song lyric, or at least that's, uh, that's their, their, uh, their defense. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, well, let's try to get through some of these. I apologize. Matt in Wichita and Jose and Sherman. We're going ham on what? this podcast right now, Ryan. We're what? We're going ham. We're going... You, no, I won't even get into what ham stands for, but okay. that's another one. All right, well, Matt in Wichita and Jose and Sherman Oaks, they had asked about who the four were left, so we already talked about that. Um, JD in D.C. wants to know, wide receiver recruiting, why not Stringfellow? We got to see him up there at the uh, opening as well. Well, you know, the receiver recruiting is still a little bit fluid. You know, Paul Harris was a guy that popped up, unofficially visited USC, told us down at the opening that it was down to Tennessee and USC. We're expecting an announcement from him probably next week. I hear USC's not going to be it. I think USC's still trying to figure out what they want to do numbers-wise with the receiver. And if he wants to announce soon, I don't think USC's in in a position to take his commitment. So they're still trying to figure out what's going on with Darius Rogers, the incoming freshman who, you know, he's tweeting, hey, I'm going to be there in August, I'm going to be there. You know, whether that happens or not remains to be seen. So USC is definitely still kind of looking at some receivers. Stringfellow is a guy that they brought in for for the skills camp and did very well. We saw him up at the opening. I like him. I still think he's, you know, at least one of, if not the top receiver in California. And, I mean, we've gone through the gamut. And a lot of people thought uh, Darrell Daniels was going to be the guy, 6'4", 205 pounds, supposedly ran a 10-7 during the spring, and and everybody loved his tape, but he's just not that guy. Um, You know, we looked at Steve Mitchell. I think Steve Mitchell's actually kind of put himself at the top just with his – 
uh, performances in Atlanta and at the opening. He's been so consistent. He's made the big plays as well as just the common plays that you have to make, um, you know, as, as a receiver to be able to, you know, gain some confidence in, with your quarterback. I mean, that's a big thing watching him and Max Brown grow. You know, I think Max Brown, it's kind of Stephen Mitchell, his, his go-to receiver now. And so that's kind of big, you know, how he's played. I think he's been so consistent at everything we've seen. I'd have to give him the top spot, but you know, Demoria Stringfellow is definitely a guy. He's, he's, he's maybe still a possibility down the line, depending on what happens with Rodgers. He's committed to Washington, so you know that's going to be one of those things where USC would have to sway him, but it's not necessarily impossible. So um, you know you don't want to write off another receiver in this class just because we're not sure what's going to happen with Darius Rodgers. My personal pick, if Darius Rodgers didn't make it in and USC wanted to get you know a, a for sure third receiver, LaRue, again, we're kind of looking at his him as maybe an athlete, a guy that can play corner. If you're looking at a third receiver and you really want the big receiver in this class, I, I really got to go with Tyree Robinson. And the only issue with him is Tyree Robinson comes along with Tyrell Robinson. And that's not a bad thing. This is a good package deal. Both those guys are great players and I think have a tremendous amount of talent and ability to play, especially upside-wise because they've been playing basketball for so long. But I think Tyree at about 6'3", 6'4", uh, about you know 190, I just from everything that I heard at the skills camp, I think he would be that big receiver and that guy that USC uh, should go after as a third guy. But it all depends on the numbers and how this plays out. And no, the Robinson twins cannot come in on a basketball scholarship and play football. So just so you know, that can't happen. Um, Mark wants to know, he was watching some of the opening and he thought that Max Brown was locking into his receivers and appearing to predetermine where the ball was going. Was this your observation as well? No, it wasn't. Actually, I felt like he did a better job uh, in this event checking down a little bit and taking what the defense gave him rather than just trying to force the ball in. I think in Atlanta we saw him really try to force the ball in, especially on the post and some of the slant passes. Uh, when we got near the end zone, it was one of those things where I think the speed and the competition level was raised, and, and you don't really get a feel for it until you start to kind of, you know, this field gets a little smaller, and those safeties were jumping. And he had, you know, a few interceptions at the five-star challenge where he also had a couple of interceptions in this tournament at the opening, he was definitely a lot better, a lot more choosy with his passes. I, I still think, you know, one of those things with Max Brown is that there's a lot of intricacies to his passing. And I think a lot of things that people don't really necessarily pick up on really, you know, his grip on the ball and his release, he can change that. And the trajectory of the ball and how he fits it in there to the receiver changes uh, from play to play, just depending on what the coverage is. And that's something you just don't see with many of these quarterbacks. Most of these quarterbacks are just trying to get the ball to the receiver, get it through the defense, get it past this guy and that guy, get the ball to him, you know, lead him as much as possible. Uh, I think with Max Brown, he's kind of understanding where the defense is and kind of the angles a little more of the coverages and doing a better job. But I didn't feel like he was doing too much of the pre-determining uh, and doing too much, um, you know, okay, this guy's going to be there, so I'm just going to throw it there, you know, before the play is actually really started. Granted, we have to understand that, I mean, with these type of tournaments, they're just going and, and looking at a play on a sheet right before the play, and that's everybody's going, okay, you're going here, you're going here, you're going here. You know, this is not a playbook necessarily <laughs> that he knows, um, you know, off the top of his head. Granted, there, there was some time uh, before the tournament started. Dan Hawkins was actually the head coach of the field generals, which was the team that Max Brown, Sebastian LaRue, and Stephen Mitchell were playing on. And so they did, you know, talk to each other, and they did kind of look at some things. Um, so there was a little more uh, 
awareness as to, you know, some of the plays that they might want to run. Uh, but it's really one of those things where you're doing a lot of stuff just off the hoof. And um, I, I think, you know, as far as if he's locking in the receiver, it, there's a lot of it. It's just, you know, looking to see who's open and trying to look at your guy and feeling like, okay, this is my guy to go to, Stephen Mitchell, on third and ten. I got to try to get the ball to him because he's the guy that really makes the big catches uh, in those big moments. Yeah, I agree with you, Gerard. And if anything, I mean, he had a bunch of four-second calls on him, and some of them were, it kind of felt like he got the ball off and completed a pass right as the four-second thing was going off. But he went through progressions and did that. And I, I did feel that he played a lot better than he played in Atlanta when he threw interceptions and the opening, uh, it seemed like there was more of like a great break by a defensive player as opposed to forcing a ball in somewhere. So I think there's some great defensive players out there too, but he did a really good job. There were some really nice touch passes down the middle, uh, dropping balls in just for, you know, just right on, on the money. And I I thought he played really well. You'll see a lot of those highlights. We're going to have them for you going up on uscfootball.com. If we can uh, ever get out, if USC doesn't get any more commitments in the next couple of days, (laughs) we're going to get, get unburied um let's let's go to tim we got a whole bunch to get to gerard so let's try to go fast what are your thoughts on tyler foreman as a potential third safety and or second linebacker in the 2003 recruiting class you know and that's another guy that's kind of um you you start looking at the class and if there's a spot that opens he's another guy that's played well here during the summer and, and played well at the rising stars camp actually played some corner he played well at the opening. He was a guy that was a little surprising. I mean, he had uh, a couple interceptions and, uh, you know, not necessarily the most impressive guy when you're looking um, at the numbers and you're looking at spark ratings and everything. But on the field, he made plays. I think he's a little more of a, if they had 25, he'd get a scholarship offer. I just don't know if there's any room, you know, when you're talking about Goodman, you're talking about Priest Willis, you're talking about Vernon Hargraves. And these are all these other players, you know, that's maybe a guy that's a little bit um, on the outside looking in. And, again, you know, as kind of stated even in the question, possibility he could move the linebacker. Don't know if USC's really got room for another linebacker in the class. All right. Uh, we had Bob and David there to ask some questions about Khalil Rogers that you already discovered, that you already talked about. Um, so thank you guys for sending that question. Brett, our friend Brett. Uh, he wants to know, he has a preferred walk-on question. When a coach offers a preferred walk-on before a prospect's senior year, does it mean the kid will have an easier time getting admitted to USC like normal scholarship players do? That's an interesting one. Well, academically, I don't know. I don't know if there's any, you know, um, ease in terms of, you know, the, the test scores or, or how stringent, you know, admissions is looking at the athlete. I would think probably so. I mean, I think it would be more in line with, uh, you know, what the what the football players are looked at because, I mean, they want, obviously, that player in. And so, you know, being preferred walk-on, I could see that, you know, that he's going through admissions probably the same as a scholarship player would. Um, and as far as getting on the team, obviously, we know preferred walk-on. What it really means is that they're kind of secured a spot on the team. They don't necessarily have to try out with the rest of the walk-ons. They are going to get a team on the spot, but they just don't have a scholarship offer. Yeah, I, I think that that does happen. I don't know if it's in every single case, but I, I know like in a case like John Manugian, who they wanted to have him come back and bring bring his experience to the the scout team. Uh, he wanted to get he already graduated. And he wanted to get an MBA, but I think one of the requirements is usually you have to have had some work experience. But I think they can kind of work around that a little bit. Let him take MBA courses while he's still playing on the team, and uh, so I, I think they can do some things. It's probably not as much as a scholarship, but yeah, I think that. It does come into play at least a little bit. Um, let's go to Paul. Can you compare uh, Kevon Seymour and Davion Shelton with the guys who have committed or are still being recruited from this year, like Hawkins, Ramsey, Willis, 
and Hargraves? How do those guys stack up? Wow, that's this one of those. It's not a rapid fire answer. Um, I think uh, I think what with Seymour, I think Seymour is is way up there. I mean, I I can't say enough good things about Kevon Seymour, just as an athlete and his potential as a corner. I mean, he's six foot. He's 175 pounds. Um, he's just so fluid. He's got great ball skills. He's one of those guys that you know really he could play both sides of the ball. I mean, he, I think he's going to be a guy that on special teams is going to contribute to USC. Davion Shelton is much more raw. There's a possibility he ends up playing free safety. I'm not con- you know, convinced that he's actually a corner. Uh, we kind of have to see how he develops physically. He's another guy that's you know, tall. He's in that six-foot, six-foot-one range, uh, about 170 pounds, um, but really kind of more of just a straight athlete, you know, a guy that can jump out of the building. He's fast, but you know, how much of a good football player is he? Well, that kind of remains to be seen. So you know, when you're comparing him to a guy like uh, you know, Chris Hawkins, who's already committed, Hawkins is a football player. I mean, Hawkins is definitely not just like a random, hey, this guy's a great athlete. Hopefully he can go and play corner. Uh, because we think he's fast and we think that he can jump high. No, he's a football player. Like, he does what he does. And he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, you kind of know what he brings to the table um, from, you know, watching him in high school and he, what he translates over to college a little more. He's got a lot of room to bulk up and get bigger. And so that's going to be one of the things that you have to watch for with him because he's pretty lanky, he's high cut. But in terms of, you know, his uh, his attitude and kind of his instincts and his awareness, you know, there's not a lot of questions with that. Whereas a guy like Damian Shelton, it's a little more like he's just a great athlete. And we have to see if those intangibles are there once he starts to play in a college environment um with uh you know the other defensive backs i mean the cornerbacks that are on the table you know vernon hargraves obviously a little shorter a little smaller um more comparison to a guy like mikhail roby not quite that small but that would definitely be a closer comparison than with davion shelton or kevon seymour um you know priest willis yeah probably a little more with 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 uh with davion and, and kevon because he's you know he's bigger he's about 6'2 um 185 pounds right now probably wants to play closer to 190 195 pounds pounds, um, but fast, um, definitely more, uh, I think, still of an athlete than necessarily a, a great football player, per se. Um, I, I like him a lot more as a corner than I do as a safety, and he's you know, definitely played well when he's played corner. I think it's one of those things where just body-wise, you know, he's playing safety and he's trying to get to know safety just because I think he's not necessarily certain you know, he might grow out of playing corner. Um, I don't think he's going to play out of playing cor- corner. I, you know, you like look at a guy like Patrick Peterson slash Patrick Johnson, who we saw, you know, was a guy that was 6'1", 195 pounds um, coming out of high school. You know, when he got into college, he ended up being around 220. He was still playing corner. He ended up being the first corner picked in the NFL draft. So uh, as far as size-wise, I don't think Priest Willis has too much to worry about as far as being a corner. But that's just a quick uh, comparison um, to some of the guys that uh, are out there, a guy that got committed, and uh, those two guys that they've got coming in as uh, incoming freshmen. Okay, a few more. We'll try to get through them quick. Which position group, if any, is looking to be deep as far as local kids for the class of 2014? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Fight on Lee in Lakewood. Well, it's really too early to get into that. Um, I, I just There's just too many guys that are unknowns and, and too many players that uh, we just don't know about, especially in terms of quality. Um, they're just names right now. You know, there's a few guys that stand out. I think receiver is going to be a position that looks pretty good early on. Um, but, yeah, as far as knowing – you know, what's really stacked and what's not. we got to start seeing these kids a little more here at the beginning of the junior year. Okay, and then we'll finish up with this one. Uh, how loyal will slash should USC be to their verbal commitments? If a five-star wants to f- flip uh, to USC on uh, LOI day, 
would USC decommit one of their recruits to make room? If not, should they restrict their verbal commits to 17, 16 or 17 until LOI day? What do you think about that? Well, it's one of those things that it, it's a little bit of, of give and take. You know, I think if, you know, the commitments want to take some visits and they want to go and they want to look at other schools, I think USC is going to continue to look at players at that position because they can't end up, you know, at the altar on wedding day and then all of a sudden nobody shows up. They've got to be able to hit that number of 18 or 19 or whatever it ends up being on the dot. So uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those things where, you know, when these guys that are committed are uh, allowed or, 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 you know, USC's okay with them taking official visits, that's going to be something, you know, the time frame of this. Okay, you can take, you know, as many official visits you want, but in January you can't take any, or in January you can't take any of the Pac-12 schools or whatever it may be. Um, I think that's going to be one of those things that kind of uh, curtails it. But it's it's a revolving door a little bit with uh, with um, guys going on official visits and, and, and coming back and maybe wavering. You know, USC's got to have some plan Bs there, and um, sometimes those plan Bs turn into plan As. You know, if you've got a guy like Vernon Hargraves that's floating around out there and he's not committed, but he could end up committing, and you've got got a guy that's uh you know a corner that's not really sure and he's taking official visits you do open yourself up the opportunity to you know maybe usc wants to part ways or maybe they say listen you know we have you committed but right now we're looking at the guys that we're bringing in this class we just don't think you're going to play and just being honest with the kid you know sometimes that's one of those things that just works itself out uh, that was from gary in san diego by the way and he followed that up with on a similar note what if one of the verbal commitments only has a good but not great senior season. Is that could that be a reason that USC would drop him? No, I don't think so. I think you know when USC parted ways with uh, Jordan Payton, the receiver from Oaks Christian, and Jadon Mickens, the receiver from Dorsey. Um, that wasn't necessarily just because anybody had like a bad senior season. Um, you know, Jordan didn't really have the best senior season, but it wasn't because of that. USC. Uh, I think had told him, you know, listen, you can't take visits at a certain point a year. Jordan Payton was all about taking visits and playing up, you know, the drama of the process. And it was one of those things where it was just like, listen, you're better off not being committed. And uh, Jordan Payton gave them an opportunity to back off of that commitment, and, and they took it. Uh, Jadon Mickens was an issue where he wasn't getting the grades uh, done behind the scenes. And, and it was one of those things where USC said, you know, you're not keeping up your end of the bargain academically. Uh, so for us, you know, we're going to have to start looking at other places because we can't have you uh, coming in thinking you're coming in in June and all of a sudden you're not able to make it. Obviously, they felt better with Darius Rogers and they thought he was going to be able to make it in, but that's the situation right now where all of a sudden now they got to start looking at this class and maybe getting another receiver in this class because he might not make it in for the last class. So USC just doesn't want to get in that position at the end of the year where they're kind of stuck because you can't, you know, there's not a lot of leeway and options, that, flexibility that you have uh, with that 75 uh, as you do with the 85 and, and having, you know, a few of those extra scholarships sitting in your back pocket because you don't necessarily need the full roster. USC needs every one of those 75 they can get. All right. Well, Gerard, great show. Thanks very much for uh, coming on. Thanks, everyone, for the questions. I'm sorry for any ones we didn't get to. We tried to get to each and every one. It's just tough. There's so much going on with right now. As soon as I put up a recruiting podcast, Gerard, the emails start coming in. We start getting new questions, so I have to like save them all week. But uh, we'll see. Hopefully this following week won't be quite as busy as this last one was. But thanks again, Gerard, for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition will be back on Monday with our regular Peristyle Podcast. And we'll see what happens then. Monday will be the... Announcement of Jalen Ramsey, so we might be able to talk about that, but we'll have another recruiting podcast later on next week. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week. Mm-hmm.
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.